Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. Chapter. Tonight we're looking at Revelation chapter 20, and you can see the, the subtitle really says it all. The Lake of Fire. In fact, I have the quote here from uh, John MacArthur. John MacArthur says in his commentary on this chapter, he says, This passage describes the final sentencing of the lost and is m- the most serious, sobering, and tragic passage in the entire Bible. I'll be honest with you, it was sobering for me to prepare this message. Uh, but it, it is absolutely essential. I'm convinced of this. As hard as it was for me to prepare it, as hard as I would think it would be for you to hear it, it nonetheless is essential that we delve into this chapter tonight because I think it will make us appreciate the fact that we are saved and it will motivate us to do all that we can as a church and as individuals to reach those who are not saved. Uh, As we come to Revelation chapter 20, we are in essence coming to the end of the seven years of the tribulation and we are being now introduced to what we call the millennial reign of Christ. The seven years of tribulation is coming to an end And we are about to embark upon the thousand-year reign of Christ. We begin reading about that in Revelation chapter 20, verse number 1. Okay, here at the end of the tribulation period. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Years. In other words, a millennium, the millennial reign of Christ. Satan is going to be put in prison for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. He's put into the bottomless pit a thousand years, but not for eternity, not at this point, only for a thousand years. And then the Bible tells us very clearly that he'll be loosed for a season. So what we have here is Jesus setting up now his rule on earth and banishing Satan for a thousand years. And we read on in verse number four. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. You know, when I was growing up and I would hear this preached on, and they would read them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, that sounded rather foreign. Doesn't sound so foreign anymore, does it? It's happening all the time. now. Isn't it amazing how accurate and relevant and prophetic this book is? 
And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast. These are people that are killed during the tribulation. Neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So we read about these Christians now that are reigning for a thousand years subordinately under Christ. And special recognition is given here to the martyrs of the tribulation. And then in verse number 5. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. The unsaved will be resurrected to their judgment and doom at the end of the thousand years. The saved have been resurrected uh, to the judgment seat of Christ. But at the end of the thousand years, which we'll just look at in a second, there will be the white throne judgment, the final judgment of the unsaved. Then we continue Revelation 20, verse number 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. That's so important. Those that are saved, those that are part of the first resurrection, when Jesus comes again, death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So this thousand years when Satan is in the bottomless pit, God's children will reign with him for a a great time of peace on this earth. But then we come to verse number 7 and the end of the thousand years. What's going to happen then? It's rather startling. Verse number 7, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall, shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog. And nobody really knows what Gog and Magog means there. To gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So at the end of the thousand years, Satan is let out one final time to do his dirty work. And what is amazing is the number of people that have lived and are living during that time, who in spite of seeing Christ reign and his people reign, nonetheless will be influenced by Satan. It's ultimate insanity. But I think it proves the ultimate pride. You know, the Bible talks about the Lord hating pride. You know, these six things. And you know, he hates pride. And, and you can see the, 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 the deceit of pride and the, and the end result of pride. They live in peace under the rule of Christ. And yet, when he's set free, they still reject Christ. And Satan still deceives them. And what is being described here is that they're actually going to be arrayed together at the end of this thousand years to do battle with God and his people. But you read in verse number 9, And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about. These are those in Satan and those who are influenced by him. And the beloved city, it doesn't go anywhere. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. This was an ill-conceived plan, to say the least, that had 
absolutely disastrous results. And we read of the consequences in verse number 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. This day is yet to come, but this day will come. Satan will be locked away for a thousand years, released by God's divine plan to do his dirty work. But then, once and for all, and finally, condemned, as it says here, forever and ever. Time without end. This is the final resting place. This is what we call hell. Satan and, his, and those that are with him will, will spend eternity there. But the unsaved, they must first, before cast into hell, stand before God at his great white throne judgment. This is the sobering part for me. Verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. This is the awful final judgment of the damned. And God sits as perfect judge on the throne. And all of creation is dissolved except for the judge and the judged. There's no place for them to go. There's no place for them to hide. There is nothing for them to say. It is just a matter of, if you will, God making it a formality. Verse number 12. And I saw the dead. These are the lost. Small and great. Stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened. Which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. According to their works. All the lost of all the ages, people teeming by the billions, will stand before the great white throne judgment. It says small and great. That means everybody. From the most humble peasant that rejected Christ to the greatest potentate that rejected Christ. All will be judged before God. It mentions books. One set of books, plural. Most commentators say contain the ungodly acts, deeds, and motives of of the loss. And that will determine their severity of their punishment. Most Bible scholars believe, and there's no comfort in this whatsoever... But most of them believe that they're going to be judged by their, their thoughts, their actions, their deeds, their motives, 
and that will, it, it, a lot of them believe, will determine the severity of hell. And there are a lot of Bible scholars that believe there are different degrees of hell, but that should serve as no comfort to anyone. I don't fully understand it. I don't fully comprehend it. I, I, I tend to believe that that must be the case. But whatever the case, you don't want to be there. So one set of books, most of the scholars believe that that's containing the deeds. You will be judged righteously. Nobody will lie about you. Nobody will say anything untrue about you. You won't be able to, you know, gloss it over. You won't be able to make excuses. These books will reveal the facts. And then the book of life means certain it means certain condemnation if their names are not found in the book of life. And then in verse number 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. Again, that's one of the phrases there that indicates to some scholars that there must be some to some way, you know, some degrees of severity of hell if you're being judged according to their works. But it says in verse number 13, And the sea gave up the dead. That means nobody's going to escape. Some lost person may have been killed in battle at sea and fallen into the sea and its body consumed by fish and sea animals and what have you. Uh, But that's not too hard for God to bring that person back into a state that will remain forever and and, and a state that will be judged. And then verse number 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Here very clearly the eternal torment is described as a lake of fire. Uh, Mrs. Kim, the one whose body is covered, her, her back, shoulders, and backside covered with burns from the napalm, has issues with that today and suffers from the consequences of that today. Can, can you imagine eternity with no relief? I mean, it's, it's almost unthinkable. It, it, it's, it's, the thought of it is almost unbearable. You know, I've said before from this pulpit, it would almost give some relief if, if somebody told you, you're going to be there a billion years. and That would be bad. That would be awful. But okay, at the end of a billion years, I'm out. No. According to this, forever and ever means forever and ever. Verse number 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And the Bible is very clear that that is eternal forever torment. The Bible also describes it as a place of darkness, also describes it as a place of 
eternal thirst. Also describes it as a place where the worm dieth not. And I think about people being cast in there. There's not going to be any plea bargaining. There's not going to be any deals made. And it will be forever. As I was preparing this, first thing I thought about it was, I need to make sure I'm saved. That's one of the good things about reading this. It, it, it reminds you of, of what's at stake. And every person in this room ought to ask themselves, am, am I saved? Do I know for sure that I'm saved? And, and then secondly, if, if we really believe this, then we should have a heart, a, a passion for the lost and look for any and every opportunity to, to witness, to share our testimony, to pass out a track, to invite somebody to church, to give that the lights might be on and that ministry might emanate forth from this place. You know, we, we don't like to think about this. We don't like to think about human beings being cast into the lake of fire there with Satan and his minions forever and ever. But it's a fact. It's a sobering fact. That's why John MacArthur, our first quote, says this is the most sobering passage in the entire Bible. Let me share with you just some thoughts or quotes from various sources as we wrap this up. Warren Wearsby says, Hell is a witness to the righteous character of God. He must judge sin. Hell is also a witness to man's responsibility. The fact that he is not a robot or a helpless victim, but a creature able to make choices. Wearsby says, God does not send people to hell. They send themselves by rejecting the Savior. Wearsby also says this, and we read on. He says, hell is also a witness to the awfulness of sin. If we once saw sin as God sees it, we would understand why a place such as hell exists. In light of Calvary, no lost sinner can condemn God for casting him into hell. God has provided a way of escape. Patiently waiting for sinners to repent. He will not lower his standards or alter his requirements. He has ordained that faith in his son is the only way of salvation. But it's full and free to anyone who will simply believe. Quote from John MacArthur. Yet while there are varying degrees of punishment in hell, everyone there will suffer intolerable misery and torment. All sinners in hell will be completely separated from God and all that comes from his goodness. He says they will be miserable, but not equally miserable. I find no solace in that. 
no comfort in that for anyone. A preacher by the name of uh, Walvrood says, Is this really eternal punishment? Answer, yes it is. The words mean exactly what they appear to mean. There would be no, poss- no way possible in the Greek language to state more emphatically the everlasting punishment of the lost than here in mentioning both day and night and the expression forever and ever, literally to the ages of ages. God is holy. God is righteous. He can do as he pleases and we can trust his judgment. And this last chapter, chapter 20, is so heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching, if you will. So it was not an easy message to prepare. Albert Barnes says, and we'll close with this. This is, the, this is the termination, talking about the end of chapter 20. This is the termination of the judgment. The winding up of the affairs of men. The vision of John here rests for a moment on the doom of the wicked. But we'll end on a little bit of a positive note. And then turns to a more full contemplation of the happy lot of the righteous as detailed in the two closing chapters of the book. Aren't you glad you're saved? And shouldn't we be burdened for our family and and our friends? Shouldn't this motivate us to growth and dedication and, and maturity? May we as a church... We're frail. We're human beings. We, we still have our flesh to deal with. But may we be above pettiness. May, may we be above things that maybe are good but not the best and we get di- distracted. May at the heart of all that we do here be with the hope and prayer that we're going to reach people for Christ. Whether it's a 4th of July picnic or the little car race thing that Brother Jamie's done the last few years. Variety of different things going on, but at the heart of it is the hope and the prayer that we will be used of the Lord to rescue some poor soul from an eternity of unimaginable torment. Well, the next few weeks we're going to end on a lighter note. We're going to be talking about heaven and the Lord wiping away all the tears. And in that, we can rejoice. And for that, we can be thankful. Let's stand, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this evening. I really do hope that you, that the Lord will use this to give you a Sober reminder of what it's all about. Not to depress you, but to make you sober. And to grow you and to motivate you and to encourage you. And to be filled with gratitude that you are saved.
Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.